Welcome to St James, a Scottish Episcopal Church in Leith. This podcast is an edited recording from our Sunday morning service held on October 22nd, 2023. For news and information and to find out how to join us, please visit stjamesleith.org.uk. Warm welcome to everyone, to um, oldies and newies and uh, young and old and everyone. Um, yes, Ian has explained about the, the uh, common cup, but everyone is welcome to uh, receive communion. Anyone, don't worry about qualifications or anything like that. Uh, anyway, let's open with prayer, shall we? Just a minute of silence while we um, think about what's going on at the moment, particularly in the Middle East and Israel and Palestine. Nature in its power and beauty, with rain and wind and sunshine, with the ancient rocks and the budding flower, with believers and seekers the whole world wide, with people in every land and speakers of every language with the angels and saints in heaven, and with all who have worshipped in this place. Jesus, who promised his presence, and the Spirit who showers her blessings. Here let heaven and earth embrace. Here may God's people find home. And we sing our first song. Should we stand? Is that a good idea? Yes. Let's stand for stretch one's legs. So I've been wanting to do this song for a little while, but the weather's always been too nice. Um, so as I was preparing in the middle of the week this week, um, looking at the pouring rain and the lashing gales, I, uh, I thought that'll be good on Sunday morning, and now the sun's come out. But anyway, um, darkening days. The clocks change next weekend, so...
A confession. Trusting in God's forgiveness, let us in silence confess our failings and acknowledge our part in the pain of the world. Come home to yourselves and to each other. May all that is unfree in you be released, and may you blossom into a future graced with love. Amen. Amen. from the first letter to the Thessalonians, uh, chapter 1, starting at the first verse. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers, constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labour of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we prove to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith in God has become known, so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report to us about what, a report about us, what kind of welcome we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath that is coming. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Thanks, Thanks, Thanks be to God. Be to God. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord all the earth. All you 
families of nations, hear the greatness of God's name. together glory to god source of all being eternal word and holy spirit as it was is now shall be forever amen and let's stand for the gospel acclamation you've got to open the word is taken from Matthew 22, starting at verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose head is this and whose title? They answer, the emperor's. Then he said to them, give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. This is the gospel, good news for all. Praise to you, O Christ. 
Let us pray. Loving God, as we meet together to commit ourselves to you, to be transformed by you, we ask that you would help us know increasingly how to respond and engage with our world in all its complexity that you may open up our hearts to hear you and to live in and by you. Amen. So this morning's uh, gospel passage I'm going to concentrate uh, and like so many stories and teachings and sayings of Jesus, this episode is brief and it's simple in some ways and very memorable. And it's a passage that's been interpreted in many, many ways. In South Africa, it was used to support apartheid and obedience to the state. But conversely, it was also used to support the anti-apartheid movement and rebellion against the state. It's also been used to justify the separation of the spiritual and political between religion and what goes on in politics and never the twain uh, should meet. And therefore, it's, be, it's been used um, by many different groups to support their arguments. So I'm, I'm well aware um, of the possibility that I might be doing the same. Uh, but I want to really look at it in view of what's going on in our world. And I think most of us here, and uh, forgive me if I'm making uh, any assumptions here, would agree that it isn't a text to condone apartheid or a text to support the split between the secular and the political, the spiritual and the religious. I think most of us uh, believe that our faith should be engaging with the world around us. So I want to look at two interpretations of the passage um, that I think have uh, some, uh, some credence, um, although I don't agree with one particular one, um, and how it might inform us towards what's happening in our world today, and particularly the Palestinian and Israeli conflict, but also other conflicts. And one, uh, Richard Raw, who I have a, a lot of time for, um, and many of you read his uh, meditations, which are very inspiring. He argues that this passage is, is really challenging our dualistic thinking, providing, which immediately goes to kind of black and white, uh, two opposing views from which we must choose one. And that in effect, Jesus is teaching us to take the middle ground, acting as a bridge between the conservative Pharisees who were against paying taxes uh, to the Romans and the more liberal Herodians. And a difficult place to be because neither side will thank you for it. Um, and I think in some circumstances this position has merit, especially in today's world where we have a polarization 
um, a lack of space for nuanced discussion, and we have increasingly entrenched positions. You just you can see it in our, our politics, in our the way things um, are discussed. However, another uh, position um, of this text would be taken by liberation theologians and Christian leaders like Martin Luther King, Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Romero, is that Jesus is actually encouraging us to take sides in order to be in solidarity with those who are unjustly treated and oppressed. And this requires us actually to come away from the uh, middle ground and actually, in a sense, nailing our colors uh, to the, the mast. That doesn't mean we don't un try and understand the complexity of the situation. And I want to illustrate this, uh, these two positions with an example, so to try and make it concrete. And it comes from uh, when I was in London, um, around Brick Lane, a poor, what was then a poor residential area uh, in East London, and developers were planning to remove the residents and put up um, office blocks. You know, the gentrification of East London, if you've ever been to London, you can see that it's happening. Put up office blocks, lux luxury flats, and in a pretty ruthless manner, really. And there were community groups were trying to resist, uh, the residents and other groups resist. And the two churches in the area, there was an Anglican church and a Catholic um, community of brothers. And they took two very, very different routes. The Anglican church tried to be a bridge between the two. So it used to go to the corporate events, used to get wined and dined, um, trying to talk to them, but they'd also go to the community meetings. The Catholic community of brothers decided to uh, stand or often sit uh, in protest in solidarity with the local community, joining their protests against what they perceived was uh, unjust pressure to move out of their homes. And I have to say that I saw the second approach sat more comfortably with me. And I think the first approach uh, might work, might be great if you have two equally powerful groups or there is some equality there. But I think it falls down when you have an imbalance of power. And why is, uh, I wa watched uh, events unfold and I realized that the developers actually were able to control the narrative. They were able to feed the press exactly uh, what they wanted and control the narrative. And I'm sure you can resonate with what's going on in the world. Some members of the, uh, the Anglican Church also had vested interests in what was going on. Um, not the priest, I might add, but there were members in there. It was an uneven contest. One side had lawyers, it had money, it had friends in the right places. As I said, it had access to the media while the residents were poor with little or no resources at their disposal. And I, uh, as Desmond Tutu famously said, if you are neutral in situations of injustice, you have chosen the size of the oppressor. If an elephant has its foot on the tail of a mouse and you say you are neutral, the mouse will not appreciate your neutrality. 
neutrality, and he said that during apartheid. And I think there are many resonances with the Palestinian-Israeli conflict. Do we stand in the middle understanding both viewpoints or do we stand with the oppressed? And I here make the assumption that we abhor the violence and war crimes of either side. I mean, that, that is a given. And I think it's always good to ask the question, what might Jesus do in this situation? To simplify complex issues, what might Jesus do? And I think this passage, for me, gives some indication. And as always, context is everything in helping our understanding. Firstly, in the passage, we are explicitly told that the scribes and the Pharisees are trying to catch Jesus out and deliberately uh, um, ask a question that's going to put him in a, in a dilemma or on the spot. And they ask, is it lawful to pay tribute taxes to Caesar? And the question was one of the hottest political and social issues of the day and deliberately double-edged. Because if Jesus said, yes, it's okay to pay taxes, he would have faced the charge of lacking integrity, a questioning of all he had said and done before. Also, he would be guilty of idolatry as it was sacrilege to carry any image of God, let alone an image of Caesar on a coin, a king who had set himself up uh, as a god, a pagan king who oppressed God's people, ground them into dust through an inhumane and unjust tax system. So if Jesus had any chance of being that leader of the people, saying yes would be a body blow to him. He would have faced ridicule and resentment from the people who days earlier had followed him into Jerusalem, shouting Hosanna a few uh, uh, in the highest. But if Jesus said no, and this is what I believe the Pharisees were wanting him to say, and why they praised him for his courage and sincerity in the passage, it would be avert treason and rebellion. The iron grip of the Roman authorities would close upon him at once. And remembering when Jesus was a young boy, there was a revolutionary called Judas who led a revolt on exactly the same issue about paying these oppressive taxes to Caesar. And the response was vicious and merciless, leaving dead and dying supporters of the revolt on crosses throughout the countryside. And remember, the cross was only the death of those committing treason against the Roman Empire. It wasn't for common uh, criminals. A warning that not paying taxes to Caesar was never an option. So Jesus doesn't answer the question directly, but instead asks that they show him the coin. This is the genius. Show him the coin. And when the uh, Pharisees pr produ produce the coin, they actually bring it out, it exposes the fact that indeed they are compromised because they are in possession of this coin, which not only is a symbol of their socio-political oppression, but has a graven image on it with the words, Caesar, son of God. That's why we have Jesus, son of God, direct opposition to the Roman 
uh, empire. Now I, reading into it, can imagine Jesus taking the coin with a look of disgust as he thinks to himself, who is this image and who dares give himself an inscription like that? And they say, it's Caesar's, they reply, stating the obvious but admitting that they are carrying the offending coin. So Jesus answers, well, you had better pay Caesar back in his own coin, haven't you? Very ambiguous. The observers might have been wondering what Jesus meant. Paying Caesar back with his own coin? Was it a call to pay Caesar back? A call to revolution? Or was it Jesus saying you should pay your taxes? But then he adds the words which confound his questioners. You'd better make sure you pay God, back God what is due God. You'd better pay God back in his coin too. Again, what was Jesus saying? Was he saying the kingdom of God was more important than Caesar's? After all, or was he saying again it was okay to pay taxes but to pray to God, that separation that we talked about. So what is Jesus trying to achieve? I don't believe that Jesus was trying to wriggle out of predicament. He had already told his disciples he would share the fate of the tax rebels of his boyhood and be crucified. He set his sights on Jerusalem. He was, in fact, walking headlong towards it but he was doing it on his own terms. His journey was not to counter injustice and cruelty with violent counter-revolution. It was through peaceful means. The kingdom of God would defeat the kingdom of Caesar, not by conventional means, but through love and forgiveness. So it's clear for me, that Jesus wasn't trying to give an answer for all time on the relationship between God and political authority. Instead, he was countering, in many ways, the, the Pharisees' challenge with a personal challenge. Have you fully given your allegiance to God, or are you compromised? Whose stamp, whose image, whose insignia is burnt into your hearts, into your minds, and into your souls. Is it God's or is it Caesar's? And I believe that Jesus asks us the same question. Whose image is imprinted on our hearts, on our minds, and on our souls? Are we marked with the insignia of Christ as we are on, on our baptism? Or do we still carry Caesar's insignia? Which kingdom do we give our energies to? Do we spend our time on improving our status, our prestige, our wealth, our possessions, our power, our security? Are these the values we pay homage to? Or do we spend our energy on service, compassion, love, justice, reconciliation, truth, the building of community. In other words, who do we ultimately belong to? Which kingdom do we serve? We are asked to choose rather than take the middle ground. And if we have the insignia of Christ on our hearts, this should impact our understanding of political events. 
we will begin to search out truth, cut through the lies, the false narratives that are being peddled by those with invested interests. We will begin to see where money and power is put before people and what is right and just. We will be filled with compassion. And the Bible, whenever it says that, it says our guts will be churned. Our guts will be churned. So that we may no longer sit comfortably in that middle ground. I am, I am emotional because yesterday I heard a lot of stories from people in Gaza. So it, it, my guts have uh, been churned. Um, also from uh, young um, Jewish people as well who uh, are appalled about what's happening. So, um, uh, so we are no longer... If our guts are churned, we can no longer sit comfortably in that middle ground. We are invited in solidarity to be with those who are oppressed, marginalized, and unjustly treated. And to be in solidarity means to understand, to care, to join with, and to act. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. And with Palestine and Israel, the situation, it's very easy to feel hopeless. And if we feel hopeless, we will then be rendered helpless. And one young Palestinian woman said yesterday, to live without hope is not an option for us. It is a privilege for those watching from a distance. For us to lose hope is for us to die. Very, very powerful. There was also, as I said, a young uh, German Jew uh, um, who talked about um, his upbringing and how he uh, had actually, um, how he was so upset by what was happening um, to the Palestinians uh, in that land. And the speeches were very, very um, informative. They were passionate, but very, very informative. And what I'd like to do is just end again um, with a, a hopeful quote, which I'll uh, end with. But what I realized is how much we collude how much we collude in what uh, this country, um, Scotland, but the UK, how much it colludes in what is going on in terms of uh, weapons, weapon factories, and what is being made. We have BAE Systems, Leonardo in Edinburgh, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, Talis, all uh, making some of the weapons and enabling some of the bombing uh, to actually uh, occur. So I believe personally that we are as Christians that we are to really take the side of those um, who are being unjustly treated. That doesn't mean we don't understand the nuances and the complexity of what, what is going on. But we are called not to simply take as face value what, what comes, uh, the information that comes to us. We are called to search, to look for the truth and to have our guts churned by those who are suffering. And 
I do end with this quote from Martin Luther King, uh, who said this during the civil rights movement. And he said many things that I think give us hope. And it's a famous quote. And he says, we shall overcome. And it, it, it was taken by some of uh, the people that spoke yesterday. We shall overcome because the arc of the moral universe is long and it bends towards justice. Amen. Uh, following on from that, the prayers today are focusing on the challenge in the gospel of how to live out the kingdom in a troubled world with no easy answers. So when I say, Father and mother of us all, could you respond, show us your way ahead? Father and mother of us all, show us your way ahead. God of grace, walk with us through the week to come. Help us to know how to respond to the news flooding in, how we should act, how we can help, and how should we pray. Father and mother of us all, show us your way ahead. We grieve over so many lives lost, so many divine images shattered in the terrible events in the Middle East, but also in Ukraine, in Yemen, and in the Sudan. We pray for justice, for righteous anger, rather than blind, murderous fury, for protection for the innocent, and for all the nations involved to take a step back from the brink of all-out war in the Middle East, for a way forward which provides justice for all. We will not find these things until men's hearts are changed. We pray for your grace to move in the hearts of all leaders in the Middle East at this time. So they seek peace and not revenge. Father and mother of us all, show us the way ahead. We are grateful for this community here, for all we gain from each other. Help us to understand our own gifts and to encourage each other by saying thank you and you're really good at that. So that the body flourishes because all its members are active and we gain confidence from each other's support. <coughs> Father and mother of us all, show us the way ahead. And help us to accept our own imperfections and those of others as you accept us and bury our failings in the depths of the sea. Father and mother of us all, show us the way ahead. We pray for our troubled nation, whose confidence in its elected leaders has been eroded, whose citizens struggle to find a home, who fear the future. We pray for peace, for fair government which helps us all to flourish, for a coherent strategy on net zero, and for hope for all our citizens. 
Father and Mother of us all, show us the way ahead. We remember all those whom we know for whom life is particularly difficult at the moment. We remember those who work in challenging frontline contexts, particularly in the health service and in social care. In a moment's silence, let us ask God to show us who from our circle needs a message or a supportive word or an opportunity to speak without interruption and be truly heard. Father and mother of us all, show us the way ahead. And finally, something to celebrate. Emmanuel, God is with us. Hallelujah. Amen.
power sustains, your love restores our broken world. You are unceasingly at work, bringing order from chaos and filling emptiness with life. Christ raised from the dead proclaims the dawn of hope. He lives in us that we may walk in light. Your spirit is a fire in us. Your breath is power to purge our sin and warm our hearts to love. As children of your redeeming purpose, freed by him who burst from the tomb and opened the gate of life, we offer you our praise with angels and archangels and the whole company of heaven, singing the hymn of your unending glory. thanksgiving be to you, God our Creator, for the gift of your Son born in human flesh. Christ is your holy wisdom, existing beyond time, present at creation. And through Christ you revealed yourself in the world and bring your saving work to its completion. Obedient to your will, he died upon the cross, and by your power you raised him from the dead. He broke the bonds of evil and set your people free to be his body in the world. And on the night when he was given up to death, knowing that his hour had come, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And at supper with his disciples, he took bread and offered you thanks. He broke the bread and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body, it is broken for you. And after supper, he took the cup and he offered you thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant. It is poured out for you and for all that sins may be forgiven. Do this in remembrance.
Loving God, we thank you for feeding us with your body and blood. And we ask that you would continue to press your insignia onto our hearts. And as Wilma prayed, that you would help us to know how to go forward, how to act justly, with mercy and to walk humbly with you and with one another. Amen.